Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today, I'm really quite excited to be talking to you about post-birth control pill syndrome. Oh, birth control pills have become so controversial, which is fascinating. I will tell you that when I was in medical school and throughout most of my career, birth control pills have not been controversial. They were a thing you could use to control certain period symptoms. They were a thing you could use to not be pregnant. And now there is so much controversy and even stigma and shame around the birth control pill. So today I just want to break down what this is, why people say this exists, what you should know, and really answer some of your top questions about the birth control pill. Before we dive in, just a couple disclaimers. Number one, I'm going to be talking about the combined oral contraceptive pill, and we're going to say the pill or birth control but we mean a combined estrogen and progesterone containing pill. Secondly, I am neither advocating for or against the pill. I think the pill should be an available option to you for a variety of reasons, and I want you to be able to decide if you want to use it based on science and not based on fear. That's my big issue, is a lot of people who personally benefit are using fear-based marketing So I just want to present the facts, what we know, so that you can make your own decision. Before we talk about birth control pills, let's talk about this week's fertility in the news. This week, I want to talk about Chrissy Teigen being open and honest about her pregnancy. This is her rainbow baby conceived with IVF after a really terrible pregnancy loss. Now, people may feel differently about Chrissy. I personally love what she's done for the fertility community. She has been nothing but vulnerable through really raw moments, which any of us who've experienced infertility are all too familiar with. She played out for the world her prior infertility treatments, and she has two kids who she's conceived through IVF. Their names are Miles and Luna. She also really heartbreakingly lost her son, Jack, at about 20 weeks suffering from a placental abruption, which is when you get some bleeding behind the placenta. And she was so open and raw about that loss that it really opened the door for so many other people to talk about their own pregnancy loss, which is really essential if we want to break down some of the stigma and barriers that come with miscarriage. And she's been so real about what IVF is like. I think so often I will see people who go through IVF who feel like they have to hide it hide the fact that they have bruising or bloating or don't feel like themselves or they're emotional or hormonal. And she has just put it all out there. And personally, that to me is just such a high for our community. And I think a lot of people really mourned with her when she lost Jack. So now she's pregnant with her rainbow baby. If you haven't heard the term, a rainbow baby is a baby conceived after a prior loss. And so by talking about the terminology that we all use in this community, it's just really uplifting. So let me read from her Instagram post, which was announcing her pregnancy. The last few years have been a blur of emotions, to say the least, but joy has filled our home and hearts again. One billion shots later, in the leg lately, as you can see, we have another one on the way. Every appointment I've said to myself, okay, If it's healthy today, I'll announce, but then I breathe a sigh of relief to hear a heartbeat and decide I'm just too nervous still. I don't think I'll ever walk out of an appointment with more excitement than nerves, but so far, 
Everything is perfect and beautiful, and I'm feeling hopeful and amazing. Okay, phew, it's been hard keeping this in for so long. And she looks gorgeous, and she's got her bump. It's so amazing. But the thing that struck me the very most is she's being real again. After having my own losses, announcing a pregnancy was terrifying. And I realized really quickly that I was never going to feel better. There was always going to be some milestone in the future that I was waiting for to make me feel like everything was okay. And that's one thing that I think is really important to realize about infertility. It robs this little naive piece of joy from you. You think that pregnancy can be all glowing and beautiful, but if you've experienced loss and heartbreak, you know that there's a part of you that's always waiting for the floor to drop out. So if you have friends who've suffered loss or you have as well, just know this. I see you. So many of us see you. If your friends have suffered, please refrain from saying things like, at least you made it this far. Yay. Realize that we're not going to feel those moments and just say things like, I'm so happy for you. Let me know what you need. And just be a support system versus trying to interpret how you think they are feeling because infertility doesn't end just with pregnancy. All right, friends. Well, back to today's topic at hand. All right. So I'm a board certified OBGYN and REI. I have double board certifications. I went to med school and I sat through all these tests. By no means does that mean that I know everything. However, it does mean that I've dedicated my life to understanding fertility and helping people get pregnant. That is one of my life's passions and goals. And I also have a master's of science in clinical research. So one of the things that I've always done and prided myself on is taking science and evidence and being able to apply it to a personal situation. I'm a huge supporter of education and of natural fertility. That was always my research interest. So even though I'm working as a fertility doctor and I have an IVF clinic, I love helping people get pregnant naturally. I love it. I even have a fertility course called Enhance Your Natural Fertility, which you can go to nataliecrawfordmd.com to learn more about. But I really get fired up when people spread misinformation because then you cannot make your own assessment over what may be right or wrong for you. And that is truly what has happened for this whole post-birth control pill syndrome. So let's talk about what it is. And the too long don't read version is that it's not a true thing, okay? And I think that that's important. Does that mean the birth control pill has no side effects or no risks? Absolutely not. Does that mean that I'm an advocate for everybody to go beyond birth control pills? Nope, also not. To be honest, it impacts me very little if you personally choose to be on birth control pills or not. I don't benefit. I don't have harm for that. But looking out for your best interest should include letting you make the choice that is right for you. Because for some people, the birth control pill can be highly advantageous. And I don't want you to exclude that just based off fear. So let's start here. What is post-birth control pill syndrome? Post-birth control syndrome, or PBCS, look, it even has an acronym, is a collection of symptoms that can occur when a person stops taking hormonal contraception or the pill. All right, so this concept was first introduced in somebody's book in 2008. And why is there controversy? Because there is some evidence that you can experience some side effects in stopping the birth control pill. No studies have actually shown that this is the birth control pills as the cause. So there's lack of research leading to controversy. So do we think that sometimes birth control pills are potentially hiding symptoms that might otherwise be revealed because they're giving you the false security of a period every month? Absolutely. We know that the period's a vital sign. And if you're taking exogenous hormones, meaning hormones from the outside, we don't really know what your real hormones are doing. Does that mean that the birth control pill then caused problems when you stop it? Not necessarily, right? Just because it's correlated that you came off the pill and now you had issues, what we know is that some people are not going to have regular periods. Their periods are abnormal for a different reason. And they never got it diagnosed because of a failure of the medical system. I completely agree with this. Too many people, myself included, were put on the pill at a very young age to just have regular periods, to have treatment for a constellation of symptoms without the symptoms ever being investigated. I completely agree that there's overtreatment with the pill without a full discussion of risks or what may be the underlying cause. However, while you're taking the pill, 
you might not be able to have that insight to your body because that fifth vital side is gone. And so then when you stop the pill and certain things start happening, it doesn't mean it's the pill's fault. It likely means you have an underlying issue with your body, with your hormone system, or with an autoimmune disease that the pill hid that vital sign for us. And for some people, this means they're getting diagnosed much later than potentially they could have. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No line shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. But what is this syndrome? So the signs of the syndrome include stopping the pill, having acne, amenorrhea or no periods, having breast tenderness, changes in your sex drive, losing your hair, having headaches, heavier periods, and PMS. Now here's the deal. The pill treats a lot of these things. And so it makes sense to me. Let's just use heavy periods, for example. You stop the pill and now you have heavy periods. Does that mean you have post-birth control pill syndrome? No. In fact, no. Listen, birth control pills contain estrogen and progesterone. The progesterone is constant throughout your cycle. That's not what happens in nature. In nature, you have estrogen for the first half of the cycle, 
you're estrogen dominant for those two weeks as an egg is growing, it makes estrogen. Your body does not see progesterone in nature until after you ovulate. So the second two weeks of your cycle are when you're supposed to have a progesterone predominant phase. So usually that's just two weeks. Now, progesterone opposes estrogen at the level of the uterus, the uterine lining. This means when you take a combined oral contraceptive pill that contains both estrogen and progesterone every day of your cycle, your lining will not grow as thick because that's how progesterone works. It compacts the lining and it prevents some of the estrogen effects. So if you're taking that every day, you won't have as thick of a lining. This is one way how the birth control pill is helpful for certain medical conditions. For example, anemia. If somebody has anemia due to heavy periods or something we call menorrhagia or uterine fibroids, sometimes being on the birth control pill, not allowing the uterine lining to grow as thick is a medical treatment for that and can stop some people from needing blood transfusions or other medical interventions. However, when you stop the pill, it makes sense now that your periods are going to become heavier because you don't have progesterone every single day. You're only seeing progesterone two weeks of the month. So those first two weeks, you have an estrogen dominant or unopposed estrogen state. The lining's going to get thicker. So it is normal and expected that if you stop the birth control pill, you are now going to see heavier periods because the pill is no longer preventing these symptoms from occurring. And now some of these other symptoms of post-birth control pill syndrome are actually symptoms of PCOS. So let's break that down for a minute. PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a tough disease. And too often, I see young people with PCOS just get placed on the pill. I'm admitting that that happens for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because it fills a lot of boxes. You want contraception and you have high testosterone signs or you want to prevent against endometrial cancer. But often I do find that somebody's not told that they have PCOS, even though it's written in their chart or it's very clear. And that, of course, is wrong. So PCOS is really hard to understand, but I like to think of it this way. If we remember what normal is, I like to think of you're born with all the eggs you're ever going to have in a little vault inside your ovary. Throughout the course of your life, eggs exit the vault. And when the vault is empty, you're in menopause. Now with PCOS, let's imagine that the vault is more full. That doesn't sound so bad on principle, right? You have a lot of eggs inside your vault. Well, what actually happens every month is that you have a group of eggs exiting that vault. Not just the one you ovulate, but an entire group. And from that group, one egg is selected to ovulate. The rest of them die, and the next month you have another egg. Now, Everybody thinks the job of the ovaries is to make eggs, but it's really, really to make hormones. The ovary is a hormone-making factory. That's its bread and butter. So its favorite hormone is estrogen. The ovary loves to make estrogen, but it only makes estrogen at high enough levels to satisfy the brain when you are ovulating. So that follicle that contains the egg, the egg makes more estrogen as it becomes more mature. So what happens is that when you have PCOS, you have a lot of eggs. And so interestingly, the vault sends out a different number of eggs based on how many are remaining. And this is why people who have low ovarian reserve start to run out of eggs earlier. And you can listen to that last episode to learn more about that. So if you're running out of eggs early, you're going to have fewer eggs coming out of the vault every month. And if you have a lot of eggs remaining, you're going to have a high number of eggs coming out of the vault every month. And in that normal month-to-month basis, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Each egg grows inside a follicle. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, well-named hormone. FSH's job is to get one follicle to grow. As the follicle grows, the egg matures and makes estrogen. After you ovulate, that follicle reforms into the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum then makes progesterone. Progesterone stabilizes and thins the endometrial lining, and when you're not pregnant, progesterone levels drop because the corpus luteum dies unless you're pregnant. You then get a period, which is a response to the drop or the withdrawal bleed from progesterone. Now, if you have a lot of eggs coming out of the vault because you have PCOS, your brain has no idea what's going on at the ovary level, and it sends out the exact same amount of FSH as it normally wants to. And what happens in that instance is that FSH gets diluted amongst all of those follicles because there are so many of them. 
And so the signal is not usually strong enough to get one egg to reliably ovulate at the same time every single month. And because the ovary is a hormone-making factory, it gets bored. So what starts to happen is the pathway for the brain to make LH into stimulating testosterone becomes very easy and favorable. And the ovary starts overproducing testosterone. And this can lead to acne, both hair growth, like facial hair, like a mustache or belly button line, and hair loss, like temporal baldness, like loss on the sides of your hair, so your hair falling out. It can also lead to insulin resistance, where you are gaining weight centrally and you're holding on to some of your fat. It can make it harder to lose weight, even if you're a thin person. It's just a hormone disturbance altogether. And so this gets more and more complicated the longer it goes on. And there are some misnomers that all PCOS patients are overweight or you should lose weight or that's a mainstay of this. The easiest way to think about this is that fat cells do make a type of estrogen. And when you are overweight and you have more fat cells, that estrogen blunts the response of FSH from the brain, meaning the brain sends out a smaller signal. Therefore, it's not strong enough to get any one egg to grow. Therefore, you're not ovulating. The ovary gets bored. It starts making testosterone. And you can see a very similar syndrome. And they really all go in the same because the diagnosis of PCOS is two out of three. This is called the Rotterdam criteria. Irregular periods, signs of high androgens, so acne, hair growth, or a high testosterone level, and having PCO appearing ovaries on ultrasound, which essentially means a lot of eggs on ultrasound. So those are the diagnostic criteria only to have two out of three of them. And if you are overweight and you lose a small percentage of your body weight, you will see a decrease in your baseline estrogen level. And that may be enough to kickstart the brain to send out a little bit stronger signal of FSH. And then it is strong enough to get you to ovulate. Now, the problems with PCOS are multiple and very layered. So we have this metabolic-like syndrome with this hormone disturbance. You aren't ovulating reliably and regularly, which is a sign that it can be harder to get pregnant, of course. But some of the downstream impacts that we really worry about is that if the uterine lining is continually stimulated by low levels of estrogen, like all those small follicles are making, that they never bleed. They never get progesterone or get that progesterone withdrawal bleed. You are at risk for endometrial cancer. And so you really need a nice organized period. And so endometrial cancer can be a really terrible disease. I mean, it's a cancer that could be completely prevented. And so this is why when we talk about having a period as a vital sign, it's so important. Now, the birth control pill can lower testosterone level. That's, that's a known thing that it does. It increases something called sex hormone binding globulin from the liver. So it makes more of this binding protein that binds your circulating testosterone. So then you have lowering levels of testosterone. This can be really beneficial if you have bad acne or you're having other high androgen symptoms. And we see dermatologists use this all the time. Dermatologists frequently will put you on birth control pills and spironolactone and nobody will bat an eye about being on the pill because you have acne or because of your skin. But suddenly you want to use the pill for period regulation or contraception and everybody's coming out of the woodwork telling you that you're doing something terrible. So the pill does lower testosterone. It does prevent you from getting endometrial cancer because it has that constant progesterone. You're not going to have this unopposed estrogen for a prolonged period of times which is the environment that endometrial cancer likes. You also decrease your risk of ovarian cancer by a significant amount, like 90% the longer you use it. This is because the more you ovulate, the more your ovary has to heal. And in healing or repair, cellular repair is one of the times when cancer comes about. So the more I'm asking your ovary to heal itself, the greater the lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. Now, for the average person, the overall risk of ovarian cancer is very low. But what if you carry the BRCA gene? What if you have a genetic cancer syndrome that makes your risk of cancer much higher than the average person? Is suppressing your ovaries until you're ready to have kids something that is a strategy we can use so that you don't develop a really terrible cancer or get your ovaries removed before you're ready to? So there's another medical reason why the pill can be used to prevent cancer. But let's say you have PCOS and your periods are irregular and you have acne and you're a 17-year-old and you go to the OBGYN and they put you on the birth control pill. Well, while you are on the pill, you are not having real periods. And people will say that that's a bad deal, like that's bad. It's, it's not, it's fine. 
you're growing the lining with an estrogen. It's different than the one your body makes, but it's an estrogen and you're stabilizing it with a progesterone and then you're bleeding it off when you take those pill breaks or the placebo pills because that's a withdrawal or a drop in your progesterone. And you get a nice organized bleed that you can time around your life and it's going to be lighter, predictable, and less menstrual cramps. If you have PCOS, your testosterone is also going to decrease. So now you have regular periods and you don't have any androgen signs. And then you stop the pill. And what is going to happen now? You had PCOS, but nobody ever told you, nobody ever diagnosed you with it. Now you're going to go back to your baseline, which means the longer you go from being off the pill, the higher your testosterone will rise. Your periods will probably start to space out more and more because your hormones were actually closer to a normal level. And now your testosterone is rising and you're getting back in more and more dyssynchrony that we see and we know exists with PCOS. But it's hard to diagnose PCOS on the pill sometimes because your ovaries are in a quiet state. Your LH and FSH and estrogen are all very low. If anybody ever draws hormones on you while you're taking the birth control pill, huge red flag that they don't know what they're doing because FSH, LH, and estradiol are all going to be low. That's how the pill works. The birth control pill is an artificial estrogen. It is. It's an ethanol estradiol. The body makes estradiol. So it's a similar but different compound. When you take it, it's not measurable by the estradiol assays that we check when I say I'm checking estrogen. So if you take the birth control pill, I'm giving your body estrogen. Your brain recognizes this estrogen and it stops sending out FSH and LH. So now your FSH and LH are very low. And so, yay, you're not ovulating. That's often the point of the pill if you're trying to prevent pregnancy. And you're not stimulating the ovary to make testosterone because that LH is low. So your levels on the pill should be low FSH, low LH, low estradiol, and low progesterone. That's it because we're giving you hormones that are not the same that we check in serum levels and we have essentially shut your brain off. So now if somebody draws labs on the pill and diagnoses you with something, that's just wonky, first of all. We know what your labs are going to be when you're on the pill. Second of all, the longer you go when you come off the pill, now your body has to remember. So it is true that if you have PCOS and you've been on the pill and now you come off of it, I always tell people this, I expect that the longer you're off the pill, you're going to start to have more irregular periods. Your acne is going to get worse and you're going to see more sensitivities to food, more fatigue, and more of the true syndrome of PCOS that we actually see. So again, when you were on the pill, you were taking artificial hormones and you were protecting yourself against endometrial ovarian cancer. You might've made your periods more tolerable and you may have been improving your skin or other factors that made you very happy. The pill is also extremely reliable for contraception. When you stop the pill, your body has to do the job. And if you have a medical disease, I mean, PCOS is an endocrine disorder. It's not something you caused. It's likely a genetic and environmental component. It's a disease that also may have some autoimmune underlyingness that you did not cause. It just is there. And now it's going to be seen. So the pill did not cause it. All the pill did was cause you to recognize it at a later time than you would have had you not been on the pill. The pill does prevent ovulation. Obviously, that's how it works. It does shut off LH and FSH from the brain. And especially if you've been on the pill for a prolonged period of time, we will see a couple of notable things that you should know about. One is that we'll see a decrease in your ovarian reserve. What this means is when those eggs are all outside that vault in differing numbers, they make some different hormones, and one of them is AMH or anti-mullerian hormone. The cells around each follicle outside the vault make AMH. However, when you haven't ovulated for a prolonged period of time, those follicles get really suppressed because the ovary is not getting stimulated at all. And so we do see a transient drop in ovarian reserve. It's not that you have less eggs. It's that you have lower blood levels of AMH because the cells surrounding the follicles are less active. It can be profound. It can be a 30% drop. And so if you're getting a fertility test done, I'm fine with that. I love testing your fertility. And your AMH comes back low and you're on the pill. I do not know if that is real or artificial. That is the truth. If it comes back normal, I feel really confident that it's normal. And I'm like, yay, carry on. But if it comes back low, I do not know. And I'll often counsel people, maybe we should come off the pill for three months 
wake the ovaries back up, let those cells become active again, and recheck this AMH to see where you are. Because that might have really major implications for your life if you're considering freezing your eggs or preserving your fertility. But understand that's not a permanent impact, it's just a short term. Similarly, if you've been on the pill for a prolonged period of time and you're looking to freeze your egg, you may see that your fertility doctor wants you to take a pause from it. And so when I see somebody who I am concerned they have low ovarian reserve and they've been on the pill for a prolonged period of time and I don't know the difference, I will often ask them to pause the pill or delay freezing their eggs for at least 30 days and let the ovary wake back up so that we can get a better response. So just don't be surprised by that. So a transient drop in AMH or markers of ovarian reserve that return to normal after stopping the pill. So if your normal is truly normal, it's going to go up. If your normal's low, then your normal's low, and it's not going to go back up. And that's one of the hard things is we've not been checking AMH on people that long, and we don't have baseline levels on everybody. Also, the pill prevents ovulation again. So what's going to happen? Well, now you want to get pregnant, you stop the pill, your brain and your ovary have to become best friends again, and they have not been communicating for a long time. You know, if it's your best friend and y'all haven't talked on the phone in 10 years, it doesn't mean you can just pick back up where you left off. Hopefully you can, but it may take you a little time to get back in sync. That's exactly what we see in the brain and ovary relationship. So I usually say stop the pill three to six months before you want to get pregnant. Protect yourself from pregnancy in another way, but allow your body a few months to ovulate. That way we can see that everything is working in a reliable and predictable fashion. And if you have no period back and it's been three months off the pill, likely you have an ovulation disorder, number one, or a lining that's been chronically suppressed if you were taking, you know, daily pills and haven't had a period for a very long time. And so you would want to go to your OBGYN and get that evaluated so you can know is it an ovulation issue or not. So the pill, when it works normally, suppresses ovulation. And when you stop the pill, if your body can work normally, your ovulation will resume and you'll get periods or get pregnant. And if it's not, it's not that the pill caused your anovulation. Yeah, I may take a couple months to wake back up. But if you're three months with no period, you have something underlying. You have functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. You have PCOS. You have chronic anovulation. You have undiagnosed thyroid disease, undiagnosed hyperprolactinemia, which was being treated with the birth control pill. So you might have some underlying medical condition causing your amenorrhea that 100% warrants evaluation. The only exception there, again, is not that the pill prevents ovulation, prolonged ovulation, and we know this by large-term studies, but the pill can cause a thinning of the uterine lining, especially if you use the pill and you never take those placebos or you never have a period. And so that may not be inhibiting ovulation, but the lining may take a while to grow back. And so you need to know the difference because we do different things with them. Now, fertility studies. So, oh, being on the birth control pill hurts your fertility long-term. Oh, contraire. So a good study did show that by six months, there were no higher rates of infertility. So by six months, everybody's pregnant at the same level. But in the first three months, there were slightly lower chances of getting pregnant. So again, that's not infertility, but it's probably representing a delay to ovulation in some patients or undiagnosed ovulatory issues. So stop the pill a few months before you want to get pregnant so that you can get that diagnosed and know if you need help ahead of time. Also, the longer-term pill users actually have improved fertility. So if you use the birth control pill for 10 years plus, you actually had a higher chance of getting pregnant than somebody who had not, who was at the same age. And the hypothesis here is that you might have been suppressing underlying endometriosis. Endometriosis is another disease where the pill is commonly prescribed. Now, the birth control pill cannot prevent endometriosis. However, it can treat some of the symptoms and it can suppress the disease in certain patients. Endosex. I am not going to argue here. Same caveat. A lot of people go in period pain, they get put on the pill, they never even have the word endometriosis mentioned to them. That's a huge shame. Endometriosis is an inflammatory process with some autoimmune genetic underlyingness. There's a lot of lifestyle things you can do for endo. Same with PCOS. That if you don't know you have it or nobody talks to you about it, how are you ever going to know that you need to focus on decreasing inflammation and avoiding inflammatory foods and living a really clean life that that can actually make your pain better? So there's a lot wrong in modern medicine right there. Not going to argue. But the pill can be highly effective for some patients with endometriosis at preventing dysmenorrhea or painful periods. It can also prevent the disease in some patients from progressing. And I've seen this. And now the 
mainstay diagnosis of endometriosis is surgery. So that's hard. And not all patients will have classic symptoms of painful periods, pain with intercourse, or GI changes, especially around your period. Everybody has a really unique presentation and symptoms don't correlate with extent to the disease. But endometriosis are these endometrial implants of tissue. So the same type of tissue that's inside the uterus is found outside the uterus. And that tissue gets stimulated by estrogen, just like the endometrium does. And it gets suppressed or less active or compacts with progesterone, just like the endometrium does. And so if you take the pill and you have that chronic progesterone exposure and not the same estrogen, that's not the same activity on those endometrial lesions, you're going to have a decrease in your symptoms. So it's really the progesterone that's helping here. And it can prevent those lesions from growing over time. And we know that high-dose progestin therapy can do this. We also know some other stronger medications that prevent ovulation like Lupron or downregulating from the brain. But some of these medications have longer or worse side effects. And the oral birth control pill can be relatively easy to use. It's one pill every day and it's well accepted in society. But when you stop the pill, you're going to have your pain come back. And that doesn't mean that the pill now caused your pain. The pill was preventing it before. And now you're reverting back to what your normal is. But if you started on the pill after only a few periods, you may not know what your normal is. Does that make sense? You may not know. And so the pill doesn't cause endometriosis. It potentially can help it, just like it can potentially help PCOS. It can potentially prevent cancers. And it is a good contraceptive method. Now, is the pill for everybody? Absolutely not. And I think it's really important that we think through why we may or we may not prescribe the birth control pill. I'll say from a fertility standpoint, I can actually get a better response by dropping your testosterone, synchronizing your cohort, starving your eggs of FSH for a few weeks, and then giving them a lot of it. I can get improved results by manipulating your hormones. So I don't want you to fear the birth control pill. Sometimes it can really be to your advantage. But I want you, especially in this post-row world that we live in, to be able to look honestly at the birth control pill and make a decision if it's right for you. For today's FFS, For Fertility's Sake, our weekly Q&A, I'm going to answer some of your top birth control pill questions. So hopefully I've gone over some of them in this episode, but for the others, I'm going to address them here. As you recall, you can ask these questions every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD in the question box, or you can call the new voicemail line at 657-229-3672 and leave your question there. I heard the pill causes vitamin deficiencies and that I need to purchase a post-birth control pill syndrome cleanse. What is this about? Oh my gosh, y'all, I have so much to say on this one. It does cause some vitamin deficiencies and you'll hear people say this all the time. So it has been shown to decrease the levels of six nutrients, riboflavin, peroxidine, folate, vitamin B12, ascorbic acid, and zinc. And it increases four others, iron, copper, vitamin A, and vitamin C. Women who take oral contraceptives have evaluated in studies, looked at in studies, do not need supplements of these vitamins as long as they have a normal diet. So if you have an average diet, you're fine. The increases by oral contraceptives are not harmful either. And so if you are on a weird diet, yeah, maybe you do need vitamin supplementation. But these vitamin deficiencies are not deficiencies per se. They're just lower levels. And they're not to the level where you need to buy somebody's post-birth control pill cleanse, giving you these vitamins back. One, a multivitamin will do it just fine. Two, there's no way to cleanse the pill out of your system. I want you to listen to me. Somebody will sell you a supplement or a drink for a lot of money, telling you that it's going to get the pill out of your system faster. False. The pill is super short-lived anyway. I mean, haven't you heard? If you do not take it at almost the exact same time within an hour or two every day, it might not even suppress ovulation enough. It's an extremely short-acting medicine. And so when you stop it, you're stopping it. You don't need to get it out of your system by taking some cleanse. And the other things these cleanses say is that, well, they're repleting all these vitamins for you. You can buy a multivitamin over the counter or a prenatal if you want to be pregnant. And it is fine. You don't have to buy the expensive cleanse. I'd rather you get just a prenatal or a one-a-day multivitamin. I'd rather you just eat a really healthy diet, to be honest. But studies have shown you don't need to supplement these vitamins back. And so for there to be an entire 
industry promoting this, it's really manipulating a lot of people and causing a problem where there's not one. I just want to be clear on that. So if you're taking the birth control pill, if you needed to take an extra vitamin, I'd have no problem. I mean, I make my patients take all kinds of vitamins. You can ask any patient I had. I'd have no problem saying, yep, you need this vitamin. But really, isn't there not to levels where that's a true thing? So it really makes me mad that there's whole industries promoting this. Can they be right that the pill can make some people feel crappy? Absolutely. The pill does have some side effects. So my next question is, what are the side effects and risks from taking the birth control pill? So common side effects, nausea, that's usually from the progesterone, and you can try switching to a different progesterone, breast tenderness or even enlargement of your breast, headaches, spotting or breakthrough bleeding, especially if you just randomly start the pill and you don't start a pack when you started your period, missing periods or amenorrhea, even if you're using the pills correctly, sometimes the prolonged progesterone prevents you from having enough endometrial lining to bleed in between cycles, weight gain. People report this one, even though it hasn't been confirmed on any randomized controlled trial, I still think it's important. This is probably some from fluid retention or from that breast enlargement, but everybody responds differently. But I think it's worth noting you might gain some weight. Mood changes. Some people get depressed on the pill. Some people feel better on the pill. Some people have emotional instability. It appears that people may have more of a change in their emotional status if they have a history of depression. So proceed with caution or talk to your doctor about this. Decreased sex drive. That's a well-known one. That's usually from the chronic progesterone in pills. If we think about our body, the estrogen dominant phase is the first two weeks. That's when you're usually feeling really energetic. Your mood is sharp. You feel sexy from all that good estrogen. Your peak sexiness and sex drive is at the time of ovulation when you have your peak estrogen level. So the highest estrogen to progesterone ratio because there's no progesterone yet. And then after ovulation, you go into your feed and breed. Your progesterone is high. You just want to eat food. You're kind of, I don't want to say lazy, but you don't have the same energy. You're not concentrating as well and you don't want to have sex. That's normal in the luteal phase. And on the birth control pill, you have progesterone every day and everybody responds differently to that. Some people have an increase in vaginal discharge, but not most. Most people actually have a decrease in discharge. They feel more dry or they need more lubricant with sex. Again, the vast majority of these are from progesterone. So if you want to be on the pill and you have some bad side effects, I'll often change to a different type that has a different type of progesterone to see if somebody tolerates that more. There are some serious side effects you should know about. One is blood clots. So birth control pills do make you increase in your clotting factors because of its metabolism at the liver. So if you have any clotting disorder like factor five lighten or you've had a blood clot in the past, you need to tell your doctor about it. If you are smoke cigarettes, if you have high blood pressure or other medical conditions that make your blood vessels less stable, like heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, or family history of blood clots. And we also get very nervous about them if you have migraines with aura, because that represents some vascular instability. So that's something to be aware of. They can also cause high blood pressure. So if you're over age 35 or you have history of high blood pressure, we have to be careful in starting you on the birth control pill. There are some benign liver tumors that have been increased with them. This is rare, but it's a known side effect. So it's benign, but it's a tumor in your liver. So we have to make sure that if you're on the birth control pills because the liver is becoming more active and metabolizing them and you have upper abdominal pain, you should always get that evaluated. They also can increase the risk of gallstones. So if you've had a history of those and not gotten your gallbladder out or a strong family history and you have upper abdominal pain, you should know about that. Many people ask about how birth control pills affect the risk of breast cancer. Most show very little risk. However, there might be a higher risk of breast cancer in some patients. Overall, the risk is low. But if you have a strong cancer syndrome history, you want to consider what this risk is and talk to your doctor about it. And there's been debating literature on cervical cancer risk. Most cervical cancer is from HPV. HPV tends to come from unprotected sex, which overall is higher in people who use the pill than people who do not, largely because they are protected against pregnancy, so they don't need a condom. So that literature is what we call confounded, meaning we can't draw a clear association, but it's there. So the most serious ones to most of us are the blood clotting issues that you have to be really quite concerned about. But your doctor should review these risks with you, especially if you're going on the pill for a prolonged period of time. Okay, next, I heard the pill can mess up the gut microbiome. This is a true one, and this is an interesting thing to think about. No medication is benign. So again, I'm not advocating for the birth control pill, 
I just want you to have the information you need. We have emerging evidence that the gut microbiome is really important and having a leaky gut or letting inflammatory toxins and other things in through our gut is bad for our overall health, that it causes increased inflammation and autoimmune disease. We have a good idea about this. And we also know that hormonal imbalances can cause issues with the gut. The gut and estrogen are really closely linked. So we think about, oh, I'm going to be on the pill versus nothing. But disease states like menopause or having low estrogen levels, hypothalamic amenorrhea or PCOS have also been associated with gut dysfunction. So sometimes it's not birth control pills versus normal. Sometimes it's birth control pills versus another disease state that has the same thing. But if we look at the pill, we do know the pill is associated with an increased risk of inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. And in some people with Crohn's, it has been shown that their disease regressed when they're off the pill. So here's my point about post-birth control pill syndrome. If the pill is doing all this damage, it should become evident while you're on the pill, meaning your inflammation and your gut issues should happen when you're on the pill. And the studies specifically looking at gut health and disease have shown improvement upon stopping the pill. So the syndrome doesn't come after you've stopped the birth control pill. In fact, it would get better when you're off the pill. So is the pill benign? No, it's a medication that modifies how your body works. It is turning off certain hormone systems and changing others. That can be used for your advantage if you have a disease. It might also cause some issues for you otherwise. So it's not 100% just a benign state. That being said, the idea that you get this syndrome when you stop the pill, it really doesn't make physiologic sense because studies show when you stop the pill, things go back to whatever your normal is. We don't have any evidence that the pill causes long-term health issues. And that's really what these people who are trying to sell this post-birth control pill syndrome, cleanse, idea, supplement, whatever, that's what they're selling you. That now that you're off the pill, your body is going into this weird withdrawal state and it can't cope. Is the pill benign? No. Do you have to take it? No. Does it help some people? Yes. Should you be able to evaluate that for yourself? Absolutely. All right, next question is, I got diagnosed with an ovarian cyst and my doctor put me on birth control. Why? That's a good question. We often will do this to see if we can kill the cyst or get it to heal up faster. Remember that birth control pills prevent the brain from sending out FSH and LH. So if you have a follicular cyst that could be responsive to these hormones, if we cut off the supply of them, you're likely to have that cyst resolve up faster. And if you've had a history of cyst, a cyst rupture or a hemorrhagic cyst, those come from faulty ovulation. So when you ovulate, you grow a follicle. A follicle is large, fluid-filled structure known as a cyst. That cyst ruptures when you ovulate. You have a cyst rupture when you ovulate. And if that causes you a lot of pain or bleeding and you want to prevent it from happening again, you can prevent ovulation. So you'll often see people put somebody on the birth control pill to prevent ovulation, to prevent cyst formation. I feel worse than stopping the pill. Is this post-birth control pill syndrome or why didn't I have symptoms when on the pill if it's this bad? I think this is a smart and really good question. If these vitamin deficiencies were such a big deal, why do they cause an issue after you stop the short-acting birth control pill? Shouldn't they be an issue while you're on the pill? And since these things are rapidly corrected, why are they causing all these symptoms afterward? I think here's the thing to remember. Your period is a reflection of your hormones. Your hormones are highly influenced by your environment. Your environment includes inflammation, your gut health, your stress levels, your sleep cycle, the foods that you eat, the toxins you're exposed to. I think what happens is people are put on the birth control pill at a young age, often not with a good discussion of side effects and risks, often without being told why they're being put on the pill. That's all wrong. However, the pill also allows us to disconnect from what's really going on in our body because we have this artificial vital sign that looks really good. And then when we're off the pill and suddenly we're paying closer attention, we're seeing our true baseline and we're recognizing how our vital sign is so off. Just like if you have high blood pressure or you have a high heart rate, something's off and this is your body telling you it. And so your hormones are a reflection of your life and your environment. And so truly, is it good to do some of these healthy things, whether you're on the pill or off? Should you eat low inflammatory foods? Should you avoid toxins? Should you try to sleep better and get exercise? Absolutely, of course. Does your gut health impact your hormones? Yes. Evidence supports this. 
Do some people feel terrible on the pill? Absolutely. Do some people have really bad side effects or bad complications? Yes. Should you be able to make the decision if the pill is right for you or not? Yes. Should you be afraid of getting post-birth control pill syndrome? No. I hope this episode helped you in some way or some fashion. Again, my job is to get you pregnant. The birth control pill is not that. So the time period of your life when you're on the birth control pill really doesn't impact me at all. I talk about lifestyle and fertility all the time. I have an entire course on it. I have many episodes about it. I have lots of YouTube videos on it. I believe your life influences your fertility and your hormones and your health. But so does getting pregnant and so does other disease states like PCOS and hypothalamic amenorrhea and endometriosis. It's not all or nothing. And you deserve to be able to evaluate your entire life, your diet, your environment, and decide if you think the pill is right for you. And I think to blame the birth control pill as the sole cause of so many diverse issues in people, it's really just a false narrative. Does it cause issues in some people? Absolutely. Is it right for everybody? No. Could it be right for you and does it help some people? Also, yes, a lot. You deserve to evaluate that for yourself. As always, I appreciate you being here. Future for fertility sake questions can be asked on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call the voicemail 657-229-3672. Again, that's 657-229-3672. Also, I'd love it if you'd follow me on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. You can check out the YouTube, Natalie Crawford MD, or check out the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course if you want to learn more about lifestyle and fertility. NatalieCrawfordMD.com. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at NatalieCrawfordMD and check out the YouTube channel, NatalieCrawfordMD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.